Please open your Bibles to Matthew 28. We're going to be in verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Please follow along as I read. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This morning we are going to continue our study on the purpose and the nature of the church, and the focus of our time this morning is on the church that makes disciples. The church that makes disciples. Uh, We just read in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus' clear command to go into all the world and to make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. That is his command to his disciples, to the church. And as we look at that mission, we see that God, his desire is that he would reach the whole world. And this is nothing new. God has always desired to reach the whole world. It's been his desire to draw mankind into a relationship with himself. That is why we were created, to be in relationship with God. The entire Old Testament can be seen in a way as God's dealings with mankind in an, in an attempt to seek to draw him into a relationship with himself. If we look at the very first relationship between Adam and God, Adam and Eve and God, there was fellowship. Until sin entered the situation and man separated himself from God through willful disobedience. And so we see that then after that, in in chapter 10, the the table of nations, God divided man into a bunch of nations, into uh, different people groups, and then called a man named Abraham to himself out of those people groups and gave him the promise that through his offspring all the nation would be blessed. And so through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his sons, a special nation, the Hebrew nation was born, the nation of Israel, they came about, and they were to represent God and to declare God to the nations, to the Gentile nations, to the rest of the world. But Israel eventually fell into sin, and obviously I'm leaving out a lot of the Old Testament. But they fell into sin, and eventually the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was born, the one whom uh, God actually said the promise would come from. It is a person, not necessarily a people. It is the person, Jesus Christ. The Messiah came through the nation of Israel, through whom all the nations would be blessed. However, the Gospels record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record that Israel rejected their Messiah. They put him to death. They handed him over to the Romans. They crucified him. And so God shifted the mission again to a group of 11 disciples, 12, one who fell away. 11 disciples who were there here at this place. They were a remnant of Israel. They were all Hebrews. Along with some five other, uh, 500 others we see here in Matthew 28, and all this, you know, that probably accompanied, uh, made up the, room, the uh, upper room of 120 uh, disciples there in Acts chapter 2. But it's the risen Jesus that appears to this group of 11 and this 500 who are gathered on this hillside in Matthew 28. And he tells them to go into all the earth and to make disciples of all nations. In a short time from our text here in Matthew 28, the 11 disciples and those other other disciples who were gathered in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, the church would be born on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. The church was birthed, and it is still the mission of the church from the preliminary kind of Matthew 28 saying, hey, this is what's going to happen to Acts chapter 2, the empowerment of the church to actually fulfill the mission. And now it is still the call of the church to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. That is... The mission of the church. That is that every people group, every race, and every language would be, there would be people grabbed out from those groups as they believe in Jesus Christ, would be called out from those, gre- those groups. And guess what? 
they would make up the church. And that is why John says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10, 13 says, and it goes on to say, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How does this happen? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, the gospel. The reason you are still here on earth and not in heaven is because you are called to reach people with the gospel. The church is that beautiful instrument that God has ordained to go and to preach the good news. Why? Because we are recipients of it. Amen. And the church are those who are disciples that go, are now called to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, what in the world is a disciple? First of all, you need sandals. No, that is not what's going on. That would be important to know if we're going to go make them, right? And obviously, we know it's without saying that God is the one who makes disciples, correct? But who does he use? The church. That's who he uses, you. Look, look around right now, real quickly. You're the plan. Don't go, oh, no. <coughs> You're the plan. You are it. I'm it. I mean, I look at it and I go, that's ridiculous, Lord. Because I know my wisdom is just not man's wisdom. My power isn't going to be displayed through, through all the ways that men do it. It's going to be actually through the brokenness. Those who have received mercy. I'm going to take them. And I'm going to send them out. You fall into that category? Broken in spirit, pure in heart, longing for the Lord, thankful for His grace, humble, those are the ones, this church. How beautiful are the feet of the church, those who are called and commanded to bring the good news. A disciple is what we're called to make. The word for disciple here in verse 19 means a believing learner or a learning believer. That's what it means. A believing learner or a learning believer. It's not someone who simply just believes. It is someone who believes and desires to learn of Jesus. I, I think it is impossible to be a Christian and not to be a disciple. Because by nature of the new birth, you now have a desire to follow after the Lord. By the nature of Christ being in you, you desire to conform to the Lord. You desire to follow after Him. It's not simply someone who says they believe it. It's one who believes and desires to learn of Jesus, to abide in Christ. And so the church's mission in the world is making believing learners or learning believers of Jesus out of all nations. It's not simply to get you to raise your hand. Amen. And say, yeah, I emotionally commit to God, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Now, that's a work of the Spirit. But the church is to take someone, preach the gospel when they receive it, teach them what it means to obey Jesus, which means that I've somehow got to have an understanding of that of myself, right? And then bring them to maturity so that they then go do what? Preach the gospel, reach people, teach them, bring them maturity so that they what? Go reach people by preaching the gospel. Do you see how it works? That's how you got here, by the way. There was someone who laid down their life that you might be here, starting with Jesus Christ. And so the church's mission in the world is making believing learners or learning believers of Jesus. The Father gives us that example. The Father sought true worship. He, he, he instigated this. He started it. He initiated it. The Father 
sought true worshipers, John 4. The Father sent the Son to seek and to save that which is lost, Luke 19.10. The Holy Spirit was sent to empower the church to be a witness of Christ, Acts 1.8. In John 17.18, Jesus says, as, I sent, as, as you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. Just as Jesus was sent, now what? We are sent. His disciples are sent. Why was Jesus sent by the Father? Again, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 Christ saved you and now sends you as his disciples to go into the world and to be bearers of the good news. In Matthew 4, when Jesus first called his disciples, he said to them, Come and follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Come and follow me, that's your part, and I will make you fishers of men. New King James Version, like it better. It is God's intention to draw you to himself, and then out of that abiding relationship, church, out of that loving, abiding relationship, to send you to draw others to Jesus Christ. That's his plan. Christ saved you and added you to his church, to his body, to then save us. And send us to the lost, proclaiming the good news. Just as he has done. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, it really gives us insight into what that looks like and how that happens in the life of the church. How many of you go, okay, make disciples. What in the world is that? How does that even work? Because quite often, it's, it's, it's like explaining something that happens in our own bodies. Like, we grow up, it happens, but how did that process happen? There was actually people around you feeding you food at one point. Remember that. And there will be again, probably. <laughs> right? We're all kind of on that trajectory. But you know what I'm saying, right? Okay, so how does that actually happen? We don't think about it, but this is important. So how do we make disciples? How do we make believing learners of Jesus of all nations? How does this happen? It starts with the attitude of your heart. Because I know right now, as a matter of fact, there are people in this room who are saying, I can't wait till this is over. How many of you are there? Go ahead, raise your hand. I want to pick you out. <laughs> awesome. We've got one honest child over there. Sandwiches. I know. Right. This is your mission. And there's so much, uh, so many other things that are so much fun and exciting and all these types of things that are in our lives which God has given us all good things to enjoy believe it or not but out of place out of context out of priority we're going to miss it church and in missing this one we miss out on the greatest honor the greatest blessing it is to give them what Christ gave us hope and not hope that fades a sure hope him So how do we make disciples? It starts with the attitude of our hearts. And I'm borrowing heavily from John MacArthur's outline. I, I was really blessed by it, so just don't think that I'm all original here. But let's start looking at verse 16 as we look for the attitudes of making a disciple. It, it starts with the heart, and I'm going to give three attitudes in one action. Verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. The 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. It says the disciples, they went where Jesus told them to go. If the church is going to fulfill God's command to make disciples, we have to be available to do it. You have to be available. They were available. Jesus is the head of the church, is he not? We've been teaching to this, correct? I've been laying the, the foundation of all this, of how everything flows within the church. He is the head. And guess what? When he speaks to the body, what's the body supposed to do? Move. When the body doesn't, we've got issues. Correct? And here's a clear command from the head. Go into all the nations and make disciples. And immediately we go, well, I can't do that. Are you available? It didn't start with how, how we actually do it. I'm just saying, are, are you available? Is that even in our thinking? Isn't that a radical idea, being available for God? 
How many of us are, God, are you available for me today? Because I have things to accomplish. Amen? And by the way, God has given us many things to accomplish. And they are all about, yes, about our families and, and our jobs and, and taking care of one another and all that stuff. Those things are all God-given good things. But overarching all of that is an ear and an availability to our Lord Jesus. Whenever, wherever, however He wants us to go, we are, we're, we're listening. Are you ready, Lord? Is, is, do you want me to go here or there, or whatever it is? Or, you know, I'm just saying, is there an availability in your heart and in your life for the Lord Jesus? Are you available? Jesus is the head of the church. And by nature of this relationship, he is the one to be directing us. And the question is, are you available? Write it down. Am I available? Are you available to even write down, are you available? Amen? Write it down. Can you write it down? If you don't have a pen, everybody got it? Am I available? This is for you, right? Just write it down. Am I available? And this is a conversation you're going to have with the Lord Jesus, okay? Let me ask you, are you available this morning? Are you available right after church? Or do you have plans? We all have plans. Are you available tonight? Are you available today? Because if you're not available today, you're not going to be available tomorrow. If the Lord Jesus walked in this room right now and he said, listen, I'd like you and you and you to come with me and go over here. Well, and you're like, well, I've got fare tickets, Lord. <laughs> He's all, oh, bummer. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll have someone else. How about you? You know what I'm saying? I know I'm kind of getting mystical here, but you know what I mean? But God said to the, the Peter and the gang, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God does not expect you to, right now, to share the good news with the lost and to make learning be believers out of people instantly. It's a process, amen, like anything else. He's going to teach you how to do that. He didn't say, are you able to? He said, are, you know, but are you, are you even available? That's, that's an important thing. Are you available? The disciples didn't have a clue at this point how to reach people when Jesus came to them and said, go and make the, or follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Back there. They didn't have a clue what that meant. What did they do? They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. And Jesus made them into fishers of men. And we see how, what a long process that was. Correct? Jesus doesn't expect you to have a five-year evangelism plan. He doesn't expect you to know even really the next step, but are you available? It's a heart attitude that says, Lord, here I am, use me. I don't even know exactly what to do, where to go, what I'm supposed to say or anything. I just, I just want to be available. It's that hard attitude. I'm listening to your voice, Lord. I'm, I'm in your word. I'm with your people. I'm, I'm where you know I, I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm, I'm around the things of God. I'm in, engaged in the world as well, not in the negative sense, but in, in salt and light. I'm in there. I'm available. Here I am. Use me. And I really hope that encourages many of you who are, are really um, have anxiety, as I have had in the past and do quite often when I run into situations, of, about sharing the gospel or evangelism and all that type of stuff. How many of you have a fair amount of anxiety because you just don't know what to do? And you just immediately, because of that anxiety, you just won't open the door to anything. That is, just stop. Repent and say, be encouraged. You just be available. Let him use you. He's, remember, he's God. He's, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. <laughs> got some power. He's got some ability. He's just looking for a, a willing vessel. And that's where the blessing comes to us. And so, are you available? Which leads us to the second way in which the Lord makes disciples through the church. He works through the available. And secondly, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Worship is the heart attitude of the church towards Christ. That's the heart attitude of a Christian towards Christ. Worship. It's a heart of worship. <clears throat> music does not produce worship. Music does not produce worship. Music is a vehicle in which we express worship. And I hope that revolutionizes your, your thinking. Worship comes from experiencing the grace of God and knowing His character in our hearts respond to that and it expresses itself out of the innermost beings in worship. Yes, in praise, that is one attitude. In service, in obedience, in all these other areas. And we're going to get into worship next week, so I don't want to hit it too heavy. <coughs> but the word worship here, when they saw him, they worshiped. It means to kiss the hand in token of reverence, like a dog licking a master's hands. How many of you have dogs? All right, you can leave now. No, I'm just kidding. Dog, cat, people, I'm just kidding. <coughs> but seriously, have you ever had something they just lick your hand? They're just like, ah, oh, they're just happy, right? They just love you. There's just this idea, and that's kind of a silly way of looking at it, but that's the idea is to turn towards and kiss the hand of the master. <coughs> Worship is the heart attitude of a church towards Christ. And we see this word proskuneo is the word, is the idea of worship. It's illustrated in different cultures. In one culture, a person bows down before the king and kisses their hand as a sign of submission and reverence. And like in the Persian culture, a different culture, someone will bow down before an authority and put their head to the ground. We see that in, in different worship in different cultures. It's a sign of reverence and submission and, and hopefully a hard attitude towards so the idea there is a submissive reverence by an outward act. I like what Ravi Zacharias brings out about our English word worship. <clears throat> Brother Dan gave me a CD and I was real blessed by it. But he'd speak, Ravi Zacharias brings out this the understanding of our English word worship, which is used to convey the idea of reverence. Our English word worship simply means ascribing worth to something. It's worship. It's what is it worth? You're ascribing worth to someone. And Ravi uses the traditional Anglican wedding vows as an illustration of what the English word means because the original word for worship is proskuneo. We don't even know what a proskuneo is, and so we have to use an English word to kind of translate, to give the idea of what that means. So what does our English word mean connecting to that in its truest sense? And he uses the Anglican wedding vow as an illustration of what that word means when the groom says to the bride, with this ring I thee wed, and with my body I thee worship. Sounds kind of funny, but it's serious. With my body I thee worship. The idea is that the groom is devoting his body to his bride and that he will honor her only in the way that married couples do. It is not an affection that is to be spread to everybody else or every other thing. It is a devoted, focused, <coughs> sanctified thing that God has set up there. And so his affections aren't being divided around town. They aren't scattered. They're focused. And that is what it is to worship God, to have undivided affections towards the Lord. And that reverence we have for him is displayed in our holiness to him. And so there's a sense in which we can bow down and kiss the hand of God and sing the songs on Sunday, go to church, but it's not true worship. Because we don't worship God with our hearts. We don't worship God with our strength and our actions, and we're all guilty of that. Amen. Even leading worship sometimes, that, that happens, right? Don't think it's like, oh, it's just you guys. It's us. We're prone to this stuff. But if the church are those who worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be holy and devoted to Him and ready to serve His every command. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, what do you want me to do? Where am I going? And you're just watching the Lord. You're listening for His command, His ear, amen? And that is the correct response we have to the grace of God in our lives as He 
has revealed himself to us. Worship is what the risen Savior produces in us. We have received the new birth. We've been given, we've been saved by grace through faith. We've been born again. We have been saved by grace. The risen Lord, as he comes increasingly into view, and that's what's happening to them as they see the Lord. In our minds, in our hearts, we turn towards him in reverence and in in service. There's a devotion towards him, a worship. More on that next week. But that's what happens here in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But it says, but some doubted. Some doubted, yes, but his disciples worshiped him. And let me say that sharing the gospel and making disciples is an act of worship as you serve the Lord Jesus by laying down your life as he did for us. Spiritual act of sacrifice. Our service to the Lord is is being living sacrifices to God. What do you want? Where do you want us to go? Here we are. It's having a single-minded focus on the will of Jesus and His will. And those who do not worship Christ, those who doubt, will not obey Him in His command to go and make disciples. They will not be a part of it. Making disciples takes an available heart and a worshiping heart. And next, a submissive heart. Verse 18, look at it with me. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I have all authority. I like what John MacArthur says here. And and, and he says regarding what it means that Jesus Christ has all authority. He says, Jesus Christ with all authority is free to do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, with what he wants, to whomever he wants, it's absolute freedom of choice and action. Jesus is sovereign. I think that helps us understand a little when Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he turns around and says, now go. (laughs) I don't think it's an option. It's not the great option. The great commission, the great command. Here we go, right? Commissions us to this. But I, I think it does help us understand a little when Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven has been given to me. This is why we see Jesus on this time as earth when he has authority. He's teaching with authority, Matthew 7, 29. He exercises authority over demons and over sickness, Matthew 10, Luke 10. And over, the, over nature, we see him stopping the wind and the waves. He speaks to them over sin and even over death. He raised Lazarus from the death. He told, you know, I mean, just... All these things are going, that's John 11. Authority over his own life to lay it down to raise it up. Authority over Satan. He holds all of creation together. Colossians 1.17. And other things like judgment, life, sonship, the title deed to the earth. I mean, it goes on. He has all authority. All means all. And anything that's happening is because he's allowing it to happen in God's plan. You might not agree with it, but he has a perspective we don't. This is to say that Jesus is sovereign. And this is because Jesus was given all authority by the Father. We see this in Daniel 7, 13-14. Daniel's vision of what mostly likely was the second coming of Christ, he says in, Je- in chapter 7, in verse 13, In my night vision at night I looked, and there before me was like one like the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days. And was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples everywhere of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's our Jesus. He was given authority by the Father. And so the Christ, uh, the, the one like the Son of Man, has been given all authority by the Ancient of Days, the Father. And Philippians 2, 9 9, uh, through 11, says that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and to the glory of the Father. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. And he is subduing this hostile rebellious world through the gospel. He's undermining the system by 
changing men's hearts by giving them his life one by one. How does he do it? Through the men and through the women that he has changed. Through you, through me. To go and reach every tongue, every tribe, every nation for himself. And when he is done, when he returns, us with him, and he destroys all dominion and all authority and power that was in rebellion to him that did not submit, he will then in an act of worship hand over the kingdom to his father. 1 Corinthians 15. Wow. And you will be there <laughs> if you're his. The risen Christ in Matthew 28, 18. All authority, all power. I hope that paints a picture. Appearing to his disciples says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so what should our attitude be? I want to be available to the sovereign Lord. I want to have a heart of worship that's single focused on him. That means things need to be cut out. And then lastly, a submissive heart. That's our heart action, a submissive. Whatever you want, Lord, wherever you want to send me, wherever I go, I go. I'm ready to do your will, Lord Jesus. A heart that says, not only am I here, I'm yours, but whatever you say, I will do. And those are the attitudes of making disciples because those are the attitudes of a disciple. Availability, worship, and submission to the authority of Jesus Christ. And those three attitudes indicate a God-centered preoccupation of the heart. That is the heart of the church. Availability, worship, and submission to Jesus Christ. And we are in danger of spending all our time and availability and affections and our gifts and talents and money on ourselves. All the while, the Lord Jesus calls out to us to lay down our lives that others might live. Right? It's time we end our preoccupation with our kingdoms and our pursuits and listen to the voice of Jesus and reckon ourselves dead to sin, dead to this world, and alive to God. That is the church. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't muster that up. May God give us grace in that. And it is the person, and I pray the church, who has the preoccupation with Jesus Christ that will actually then obey Jesus Christ. And this is the action part. Three attitudes, one action. And so the Lord Jesus tells us how to make disciples. He gives us those, those three attitudes there we can see. And now here's the action. Here's obedience. And it's broken down into three steps. So under the topic of obedience, write down these three things. It's in verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus says that we are to make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. That's how you make disciples. You've got to go. You have to baptize them, and you have to teach them. That's what it means. So Jesus first calls us to go. It's a step of obedience. It's interesting that the Greek is more of an assumption here, and it can be translated, having gone. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now, having gone, go baptize. It's not like, if you go, he's like expecting that we're going to actually obey him. That's kind of the tense of the Greek there. It's pretty interesting. If you're waiting for the stars to align to begin to commit to God's great commission for his church, wake up. Here it is. He already said go. You don't need to pray about it, what he's already told you to do. I mean, that's kind of, you know what I mean? You don't need to wait for the feelings to come about. This is not a matter of emotions. This is a matter of obedience. Think about it with your children. Why don't they obey you? Because they don't feel like it. Right? Their affections are on other things. Correct? But what you are wanting is obedience because there's something you're calling them to that's probably good for you and good for them. But they don't want to because their affections are uh, just, just five, just ten more minutes, just an eternity on this thing, please. Or whatever it is, right? 
So what is it? It's obedience. He says the first thing we do is go. Are you obedient to the Lord in this? Are you saying, Lord, I'm available, I worship you, I'm devoted to your will, and I am submitted to however you call me to be a part of this? And you start, yes, by praying for the lost, and you preach to the lost, you give towards the work of the gospel, you serve so that the gospel can go forward and so that disciples can be made. You just go. You're a part of it. Amen? You're a part of the mission. You might not be the one who is necessarily preaching to them, but you're supporting it. Or you're paying for Bibles to be put in someone's hands. Or you're going and serving so someone else can do something. You're just all about the gospel and the mission going forward. And anything that hinders that, God's using your gifts and your talents and who you are in the body of Christ to come alongside and bolster that mission. Amen. Are you available? Are you focused on that? Are, 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 you, uh, are you submitted to God's will? Are you obedient in that? So it comes down to. And the rest, and it's important for us to rest in the fact that when we go, that Christ Jesus has all the authority. Remember who is sending you. Remember who has all the power and all the authority. Remember who's sending you. If he says to go, I think it's okay if you go. But what if you run into other people who seem scary and like they have authority? Remember who has all authority and all power and the one who sends you on on whose half you are now sent. On his. Rest in the fact that the Lord Jesus has all authority who is calling you to go on his behalf. Paul was a great example of one who was sent. While speaking to King Agrippa, he was in chains on his way to Rome. He's speaking to a king. He shares with him how Jesus appeared to him and sent him. In Acts 26, 15 through 18, you can read about it later, but I'll read it for you. He says, Jesus is speaking to Paul. He's recounting it to King Agrippa. He says, now get up and stand on your feet. This is what Jesus says to Paul after he knocks him down because of his glory. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I mean, that is just rich. We are in the business of pointing people and, and pulling people out of darkness and bringing them to light. On whose authority? On the one who actually does it through us, Jesus Christ. Paul is one of those, and, and, and those who did that, who was a witness, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. We too are called to go by the Lord Jesus, but we must go. The church must go. And so let me say that as the church, we are going to be devoted to going. As I'm reading this and I see these things, how can I then turn around and say, okay, now let's continue doing what we were doing? And this is a discussion we will ask the Lord for, but we will go. Why? Now you're asking, well, where and what, right? How many of you are asking? I don't know, but I'm available and I'm worshiping and I'm going to be submitted and I trust that he's just going to open the door and he will shape that as we just step out in faith. Amen? And by the way, that's church as together, but individually as well. Whatever the Lord is calling you to do in your guerrilla warfare, you know, against the kingdom of darkness, amen, on your street and in your home and in your office and in your school or whatever it might be, and how we help you one another in that. May God's grace cause us to go to the furthest reaches of the earth because that's what happened. It came to the furthest reaches of the earth here in Walla Walla, did it not? How? Because Christ is our head and he said go. So the first action is obedience is to actually do something, to go. Wherever you go, where, and, and this is it, where, where, do, where is that? Well, go where Christ is not. Is Christ in your family? Is Christ in your neighbor's house? Is Christ in your school? Is Christ in your work? Is Christ at Thanksgiving? 
Is Christ in sports? Is Christ in the middle of whatever it is? Is he there? If not, go. That's your mission field. Start out in your Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Proclaim the good news. Yes, and we do that by giving them the law first. We do. We preach the righteous standards of God. And the Holy Spirit convicts people of the law. The law does not save. It shows us that we need a Savior. And then we lead them to the good news that Jesus Christ saves us from the penalty of being under the law. Give them the gospel. and Trust that the Holy Spirit's going to convict them. Trust the Holy Spirit to convict them. Trust the Holy Spirit to convict them. How many of you are trusting in your ability to communicate? Give them the word. Trust the Holy Spirit to convict, and you'll find out that it's actually the foolishness of preaching that people come to Christ, not your expert ability. So the Lord gives us that command, the second command, and we're going to go through these quickly. We go proclaim the gospel, and then when they believe, we are to baptize them. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the name singular. They aren't divided. It is the name. Baptism means submerge in water. We're called to go, and as you go, proclaim the gospel. People are going to believe, and when they believe, there is a public, uh, you know, act that God has called them to do as obedience that symbolizes what happened to their heart. What's the significance of baptism? Baptism is an outward act of an inward faith in Christ. That's what it is, an outward act of an inward faith in Christ. The water does not save you. Christ saves you. Baptism symbolizes salvation, but it does not save a person. My wedding ring symbolizes that I'm married. It does not make me married. Amen? It's a symbol. A person is saved from the wrath and judgment of God, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the death, through faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection alone. Okay, that's how a person is saved. When a person is baptized, they are publicly declaring their faith in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. As they go under the water, this symbolizes the death of Christ. When they come out, it symbolizes what? His resurrection. And what does it symbolize when I go under the water? That I no longer live. My old life is over. When I come back out, it's that I am now living a new life in Christ Jesus. I've been born again. Amen. So baptism is that public act of identification through Jesus Christ. And if you are unwilling to publicly identify with Jesus Christ, we've got issues. It's a step of obedience, church. We are called out of the world to stand with him and to declare that we are his. This is important. For the Jews in those days, they would, it would be a very public thing, and you would know who was a Christian and who wasn't because of the cultural issues. Now we can kind of just sit there and go, yes, I follow the Lord. And nothing happens. No, we're calling not only you to, to believe in Jesus, but to uh, publicly confess Him and to obey Him publicly in your life. You're different now, right? That's what it means. It's a big cross in your life. And so, baptism is that public act of identifying with Jesus through obedience. And God calls people to forsake sin and to follow His Son. Christianity is not a private religion. Your work is trying to tell you to make, keep it private. No. Do they keep their secularism private? No, they don't. Do we keep, you know, people come in and talk all kinds of credit work. How many of you have to experience that every day? What happens if you just turn on the light? Not accusing them, but just, oh, no, that's, that's darkness, man. Don't you know that God's wrath is coming against that? Gosh, love you. Got to know Jesus. Like, what in the world just happened? Boom. <laughs> Love Jesus. <laughs> Shine for him. Live after him. It's quite easiest for to, to pray that quiet prayer for Jesus coming to our hearts. And God hears the prayer of faith and repentance. Don't, make, don't let me say that he doesn't. There's no way... <coughs> Any of us can see something being, being saved, someone being saved. Have you ever seen someone being saved? You can't see it. It's a spiritual thing. It's a work of the Spirit. And the only way you can see if someone is saved is truly by the fruit in their life. And so God has given us an overt step of obedience that proclaims the reality of what takes place in our heart. And that is baptism. 
And as Marcus mentioned this morning, we are going to have a baptism uh, sometime soon. If you have believed upon Jesus and you have yet to be baptized, it is a public step of obedience. Step out right now, take out the card, fill out baptism, put your name, throw it in the black box on the way out, or talk to me. Amen? Don't wait. And so we are to go and proclaim and to baptize. Thirdly, quickly, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. A person who is born again and who is devoted to following Jesus is a disciple. Boom. You believe in Jesus. You're baptized. You publicly declare that you're going to follow him. You are now a disciple. And now what do disciples, what is the definition of a disciple? A believing learner. Jesus says, now teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's how we grow in Christ. We must be taught. And so part of the role of the church, a huge part, is to teach people to follow Jesus Christ, how to obey Him in all matters of life. I love what Bob Deal was sharing. Hey, listen, the Bible has a lot to say about the Bible. Did you know that? How many of you have, like, managed your money because that's the way your parents manage your money? Do you think God might have something to say on that? Yeah, He does. And so let's find out how to honor God with our finances. Amen? Not so that we can go buy yachts. So that we can invest, like I said at the end, number five, invest in His kingdom. Be a part of His kingdom. Instead of being a, an anchor on the kingdom. You know what I mean? So those are important things. We need to be a learner. And the word therefore teaches. Adasco, which means to impart instruction, to instill doctrine, to explain, and to expound. This happens here on Sunday mornings, but it happens in life groups and restoration. And there's a dialogue when there's a dialogue about Christ's teaching and His commands. We aren't simply to get together and 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 just talk about football all the time. Those things are good, but they always are frustrating and they lose, and there's no hope in them. Um, so get your things on the kingdom, the things that are everlasting, right? And so we want to we inject Christ into our life. And so it happens in coffee shops and homes, through emails, conversations, devotionals, prayer groups, when people are getting married and having kids, when people are suffering with marriage issues, when people are on their bed of illness. I mean, these are all times when we teach people how to obey and follow and trust Jesus Christ. All matters of life, amen? The church is a group that's called out of believers who are devoted to continuing learning how to love and follow Jesus. So church, do we have the attitudes of availability, worship, and submission? Do we have the action of obedience as we go and baptize and teach? But here's the thing that ties it all together. We can have the attitude and the actions all functioning, but realize that it is Christ who gives us the power to do it. It is that we are with him and that he is with us. It is out of the abiding relationship. And it all comes back to what we've been talking about. Abide with Christ. Let his word abide in you and the things that he desires to have, you're going to be begin to pray and seek, which is to reach the lost and to love one another. Verse 20 says, And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. It all comes back to that abiding relationship we have with Christ. I am with you as you do what I've called you to do. Do you know that? When you go and you share Christ, when you go and you baptize and you teach, and by the way, that's why I don't limit baptism to just me. I ask people if you want to baptize your relative, if you've led them to the Lord. It's like, hey, says, go and be baptized. I think that's us, right? Obviously, there needs to be some discernment there. But look at it. Jesus has given us the power to do what he commands us to do. Did you know that? But I don't feel the power like in the movies. There isn't a tingling that happens. There isn't like a, I don't glow, or whatever it is. He has given us, listen, by nature, of being born again. He's given us His indwelling Holy Spirit. 
you have received the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8. There is no way that we can do anything, any of this, apart from Him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We connect, we abide, and His Spirit wells up and overflows and evangelism happens. I love what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say. He said, healthy sheep beget sheep. Healthy sheep beget sheep. So simple, so profound. If you're connected with the Lord Jesus, if you're healthy in Him, you're going to go reproduce other Christians. He has given us His indwelling Spirit. And here Jesus says to His disciples, I am with you. The Eternal One is with you. All authority and power is mine, and I'm sending you. And when you go, I am with you. And as you baptize, I am with you. And as you teach, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you, church. I am with you. Even until the end of the age, the promise of power comes with a promise of presence. He is with us, church. He is with us. He's with us. Tomorrow morning, when you walk into that office, he's with you. When you walk into that, you know, that fortress of darkness, wherever it is, guess who's with you? The one who's high above. He dwells in your heart, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's with you. Amen. The power is in him. And he is, in with, he is with you, though. And he has called you and commissioned you to go. This is not something you need to psych yourself up for. You just trust and obey. You do what he says. Lean into him as you go and as you baptize and as you teach. How is Christ with us? Real quickly. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, he says. And just a few verses before that, Jesus speaks to the Father, sending another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Who is that? It's the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. Jesus has sent His Spirit to indwell and empower the believer. He is our helper who empowers us to fulfill what God has called us to do. The church is called to go and to make disciples of all nations, but it is God who calls and empowers us to do it as we are an abiding, obedient church. Commit yourselves to the Great Commission Church. Be available. Be single-minded in your affections towards God and worship. Be submissive. Be obedient. Go, baptize, teach, and know that Christ is with you with all authority and all power. To the end of the age. The end of the age just means the consummation of all things. When he comes back. Well, is then he going to, is then, is then, what happens then? Then he's going to really be with you. Like he, Jesus himself. Not just his spirit. As if that's something less. He will be with you. Always. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now unto him who is that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Unto him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Lord God, we come before you in grace. And Lord, we ask that we would honor you and bless you as we go now. We're available. Teach us. May many come to know you as you call them out. Father, we love you. Thank you for sending your son and that we are part of this eternal kingdom, your church. In the name of Jesus, amen.